Ephesians chapter 6, and we are going to continue our study. We're just about two weeks out from wrapping up this study on winning at warfare, and uh, we are going through now the spiritual armor. We have established already the truth that um, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Our wrestling, our, our conflicts in this life and the physical realm are rooted and based on the, uh, the spiritual realm. And so Paul tells us now in that you need to stand. And four times in Ephesians chapter 6 in those few verses between uh, verse 10 and verse 18, he uses the word stand four times. And finally, he doesn't even know how to use it any differently anymore. And so he finally just says, do everything you can to stand and then stand. He's just like, I can't say this and emphasize it enough. Stand, stand the ground that you have been given in Christ Jesus. So then he gives us the spiritual armor. He sees the Roman soldiers that are guarding him. He, he begins now to give us an illustrated sermon, if you will, of what Jesus is in our lives now that we are redeemed and converted in Christ. And he sees that there's this helmet, and he sees that we are saved by Jesus. He sees this breastplate, and he says, you know, the righteousness of Christ covers our heart. He, he sees the belt of the soldier, and he says, we have been girded with truth. Jesus is the truth and the life. We've got feet shod with the preparation of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace. He has made peace between us and the Father. We have the shield of faith. Jesus is the author, the perfecter of our faith. And we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. He was with God and He was God. And so Paul outlines all of these for us as facets of the nature of Jesus at work in us. It's how we stand in a day of evil. It is how we remain standing as the time around us, as the culture around us increasingly departs from the ways of God and, and the integrity and the holiness of God. And Jesus told us in Matthew 24 and 25, as my return is imminent and draws closer, these things will intensify. And Paul then goes on and says, now when those things intensify, here's how you stand. You take up the armor of God. You are not subject to these things. You are not controlled and overcome by these things of the culture. You stand in opposition to it. You stand the ground that Jesus has given you when he redeemed you. So Ephesians 6, right here, just very quickly to reiterate, beginning of verse number 13, Paul says this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, here it is, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Here it is again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation, which is where we are today, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Paul says we can stand in the midst of every attack of the enemy, every onslaught of Satan's purposes and plans formed against us, against the church, against our families. We can stand because we have Christ. We have the fullness of Christ. And he, we need to understand the armor. So we've been breaking that down. Today we are on the helmet of salvation. And the title is the, the standing firm in your salvation. 
standing firm, knowing you are saved, unable to be convinced otherwise, but that you are saved. So an interesting point about these six pieces of the armor that Paul talks about. The first three, the, he says, having the breastplate of righteousness in place, girding yourself with the belt of truth, having your feet shod. If you'll notice, he's not telling us to put those things on. Those things are there. Every day in Christ, we have peace. Every day in Christ, we walk in truth. Every day in Christ, we are righteous because of Christ. But a Roman soldier would always wear his breastplate. He would always have his belt of truth with his sword available. And he would always have his sandals on. And maybe he's taking a break or whatever it is. There's, there's, a, there's a downtime. And he might take his helmet off to let his head cool off just a little bit. He might, take, uh, he might take the sword and lay it where he can sit down and, and get a refreshment of, of drink of some sort. And he would take his, the big shield of faith that we talked about last week. He would set it to the side there for a moment. But what Paul is indicating is that when, when the time comes, there's going to be a moment. We've already got righteousness, truth, and peace. But then he says there's going to come a moment. Now it is time to grab the helmet. It is time to grab the shield. And it is time to take up the sword of the Spirit. These we take up daily, and we make a conscious choice to take up God's Word to confront lie and deception and darkness. We take up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts that are coming in that moment of time. So we're talking about the helmet of salvation this morning. You understand the importance of a helmet. I mean, we require our kids to wear them skateboarding and bicycling. Uh, we wear them to play sports. We wear them to protect our head. We wear them to protect our head, the skull, the, the brain, the neurological part of our being, the, the very, if you will, command central of our existence. And the importance of it in spiritual warfare is the fact that all battles of conflict with Satan and yourself begin in the mind. Begin first with thoughts. We're going to talk about strongholds in a moment. And strongholds are patterns of thinking. You have a stronghold of fear. I've been there. You have a stronghold of fear. What's happening is your mind is imagining everything that could, would, or should. Hasn't. Probably won't even be. But your mind is processing everything as though it's a done deal. And therefore, fear sets in. That's a stronghold. That's a pattern of thinking. And what Satan's tactic is, is to change our thinking into deceptive, wrong ways of thinking that rob us of our peace, that rob us of our hope, that rob us of the assurance of our salvation. It's possible that a born-again, spirit-filled believer who believes absolutely Jesus rose from the dead can come under attack in their thought life that they begin to doubt. They begin to doubt that they were ever genuinely saved. They begin to possibly doubt that Jesus would even save them. Because that's how the enemy works in our minds. He sets up these strongholds. What we now have is a helmet of salvation to keep those strongholds from setting in. But first, let's talk about what is salvation. I think we would all know, but I was shocked some years ago. Man, 30-something years ago now when I was a youth pastor in South Fort Worth. 
teaching our youth group one night, I referred to the idea of salvation and being saved, talked about the gospel. After service, there was a teenage girl there uh, from Southwest High School that uh, uh, was with a friend from our youth group, and, and she asked that friend uh, during the service, actually, she leaned over and she said, what does he mean by salvation? And after service, the, the teenager that brought her told me that, and I was totally taken back because within a mile to a mile and a half of this young girl's high school, which would also be her neighborhood, were at least 12 evangelical churches and some of them very large good-sized churches and I was suddenly made aware just not everybody knows it was a reality moment for me so let's talk for a moment about salvation when when a when when a bible believing person when a pastor when anybody talks about salvation we are talking about being saved from the punishment of sin that the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God's presence for eternity. To be saved from that means that I will no longer fear being punished for my sin. The way I find freedom from that fear is in believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, so I would not have to be punished for my sin. He was punished for me. He took my judgment for my sin for me. My sin was placed upon him on the cross. And when the Father took all of my sin and put it on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, the Father turned his face. And you hear that cry from Jesus, the Son of God, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was my sin being placed on him. And I believed and I put my faith in the reality that the Son of God took my sin for me. Therefore, I won't be judged for my sin. I have been saved from the results and the punishment of my sin. That's what salvation is in its purest, simplest form. And we can get really deep and theological about it. In fact, I'm going to take you a little bit deeper. We're not going to get real theological on it, but I am going to take you just a little bit deeper here. There's three facets to your salvation. There are three parts to this experience of being saved by Jesus Christ. Let's talk about those. The first one concerns your past. Okay, dokie. It's just one of those days, folks. Everybody okay in the balcony? Good. Am I seeing thumbs up? Okie dokie. Just, uh, everybody. <laughs> Okay, I was just going to see if Datrium was going to give mouth to mouth or something. I thought that would be. I was going to get my camera out. Okay, if you're at home, you have no idea somebody, there was just some sort of bump in the night up there in the balcony. So, I did, you know what? I, I told somebody before service, I said, I will just be glad when this afternoon comes. <laughs> because my long week of being wound, I can totally unwind. And anyway, so I'm just going to close in prayer now. We're going to go up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got some good stuff here for you. So the three parts to your salvation. One is concerning your past, your past sins having been forgiven. It's called in the scriptures, it's called uh, justification. Okay, I think everybody's good up there, right? Everybody good? Okay. 
All right, so right here, Alicia. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Jesus, you're awesome. You are awesome. All right, past. Your past sins are forgiven, and they are removed. What does the Scripture say? Our sin is removed as far as east is from the west. Sin has been cast into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. When you are forgiven of your sin by your faith in Christ, everything you ever did that was against God and out of a spirit of rebellion and self-centeredness and self-righteousness has been forgiven. It has been washed in the blood. It has not only been forgiven, but it has been removed from the record. And it is remembered no more. This is what's called in the scriptures. Now, these three things we're talking about, we talked extensively about these when we studied through the book of Romans last year. Uh, this is called justification. Just as if you had never sinned is how God looks at you when you have come to faith in Christ Jesus. When he forgives your sin, he never sees your sin. And you will not stand before God to account for your sin because of your faith in Jesus Christ. If you choose to reject Jesus Christ, you're on your own. You will face God and you will give an accounting for the sin. The good news of the gospel is Jesus has done that for you. Let him have that and put it under the blood. But your, your salvation is not only past, but it's also present. It's happening right now. Even as you live and breathe and move in this moment, you are being saved. This is called the act of sanctification, the act of being holy. The influence and power of sin over your life is being broken off of you so that you are not bound. You remember the old saying, the devil made me do it? Well, not anymore. He can't make you do anything anymore under the blood of Jesus. You may continue to sin, but that's your choice. That's not what the power of the blood is meant for you. Your present sin is being dealt with. Your present, your present salvation is dealing with the power and influence of sin, even in this moment. And then there's a third part that involves future. There's in your future what is called glorification. It is that place where there will be all influence of sin removed and, and, and eradicated for all of eternity. That's why in heaven it is stated to us that there is no sorrow, there is no grieving, there is no mourning in the place of heaven in the presence of the Lord because the influence of sin which creates death and grief and mourning and sickness, all of that is part of the curse of sin. All of that is removed in the glory of heaven. So you are saved from your past, you are presently being saved, and you will be saved throughout eternity from the curse and punishment of sin. Now, what does that have to do with your warfare? How does the helmet of salvation come into that existence now? How are you thinking? Do you think like a saved, being saved, and will be saved person? Or do you, do you think like you're lost? Do you, do you think like you're a failure? Do you, do you think like there's no hope for you? Do you think like this is just how it has to be? Do you think like a victim? Do you think like someone who's been overtaken and overcome? Are you thinking through the paradigm of your salvation? Let's talk about that for a moment now this morning. 
the helmet of salvation is now this idea that your mind is being formed into an understanding of all that Jesus has done for you in the salvation that he has given you. I'll read it to you as I have it in my notes. It is taking on a new paradigm, a new mindset, and a new way of thinking. The helmet of salvation is reforming your mind to understand that Jesus is Lord of your life, that Jesus is the truth and the standard by which you live, and that you are a new creation in alignment with Jesus Christ. When you're saved by faith, you receive the mind of Christ. You've heard that. You've read that. What does that mean? It means this. The mind of Christ means that you now share in the plan, the purposes, and the very perspective that Jesus Christ operates with, that he operated with when he was here, that he operates with as he is preparing for his return. You operate with a kingdom mindset, and you, you process everything through the kingdom, redeemed, renewed mind. I'm going to talk to you about those three things right there for a moment. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is a repentant mind. Everybody say repentant. In Ephesians 4, 22, Paul says, Take off your former way of life, the old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed now in the spirit of, say it with me, your minds. The mind, the helmet of salvation is a repentant mind. You know what it means to repent? We hear John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached repentance. Peter went down on the streets on the day of Pentecost and said, repent of your sin and receive the Holy Spirit. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to have a change of mind. So what happened? When I was, before I was saved in 1981... I was living Mark Greenroy's version of the gospel. Me, myself, and I. And all three were the ruler of this Mark Greenroy domain. And everything I would process would be processed through my desire. And so that would determine how I dealt with people, how I dealt with finances, how I dealt with decisions. Everything about my life would be filtered through a, a mindset that said, you know what? This is what I want. This is what I think is best. And whether it's best, it's what I want. But when I came to the reality that I was dead, dead and destined punishment for that attitude, I repented. I called out on Jesus and I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sinfulness. And I began in that moment. See, the change happened when the conviction of the Holy Spirit came on me that night in a youth service. And I, I called out and I knew I was not right. And the mindset, the, 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 the renewing of my mind started to happen when I realized I wasn't right. And the only way to get right was Jesus. You see, there's been a shift that moment, that night. November 13th of 1981, there was a shift in my thinking about me and about God. And I realized my thinking was very, very much different than God's. And I chose to think different. When I went to the altar, I prayed and I said, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to be Lord now of my life. 
my thinking shifted. So you hear us illustrate that repentance is a turning. So you're walking down this way. You're walking in, in the, the, the highway of self-centeredness and rebellion and, and sin. And repentance is to stop that and to turn and walk the way of Jesus. But you see, to make that turn, a decision has to be made. At the point of making that decision is a changing of your thinking that says, I've got to move from this and I must chase after this. So the helmet of salvation is a repentant mind. A mind that has moved from the unregenerate, depraved way of thinking to the mind of Christ. Thinking righteousness. Thinking godliness. You see, before we're converted, before we're saved in Christ, 2 Corinthians tells us that the God of this age had our minds blinded. We thought we knew right. We thought we knew what was best. An unregenerate mind thinks everything that's completely different than what God thinks. This is where you and Uncle Joey get in trouble at Thanksgiving dinner every year when the family gets together. And you start talking about certain things and the reason there's conflict is because you're thinking differently. And maybe you've got the redeemed, renewed, repentant mind of Christ and, and you can't understand why Joey thinks this way. Well, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's blinded the understanding, Paul says, of unbelievers. In Genesis 6, 5, God gets so frustrated with creation he says this, he says, I look and every inclination of man's heart is sinful. God is so frustrated with creation because everything man thinks about is against him. And he says, I'm just going to start over. I'm just going to wipe it all out and I'm going to start over. Because the mind of sinful men is against the mind of God. So we repent. We, go, we undergo a changing of our thinking. That is your helmet of salvation. You no longer think like you used to. There's things you think now and you choose and decide to do, and you think, man, I would have never done that a few years ago. That's because you, you made a change of, of mind. You, you have a repentant mind. You now think differently. Second truth is this. Not only is the helmet of salvation... Uh, a repentant mind, but the helmet of salvation is a redeemed mind. Everybody say redeemed. Second Corinthians 10 says this, For the weapons of our warfare, here we are again, are not, the are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. A redeemed mind. The word redeemed means this. It means to regain possession of. So you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, God has taken back possession of you from Satan because of the blood of Jesus. The blood paid for him to acquire you back. To retake possession. Everybody say that. Retake possession of. That's what it means to be redeemed. So when we think about a redeemed mind, you know what it is? It's retaking possession of 
what is the right mind, what is a right way of thinking. So Paul says this, we take captive every thought. He says we, just, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that are raised against the knowledge of God. Social media <laughs> is a good place to start redeeming and taking repossession of. Because every opinion and every lofty argument and idea has free download. In other words, there is just opportunity beyond opportunity for deception, falsehood, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible ideologies to be cast out without real fact checkers. I don't even know if these fact checkers that keep popping up on my Facebook page are even redeemed. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering because, but you see, you've got to take those thoughts captive. You cannot tolerate, you cannot meditate, you cannot hold to those things. You will start to think them. You may realize, wait a minute, I just heard that that doesn't sound right. You find it in the Bible, but if you don't take it captive, you'll start to think it. When you start to dwell on it, it won't be long before you'll hear a conversation and you'll start to agree with the conversation. And then before you know it, you've got this thing down in you and what is right is wrong and what you now think is wrong is actually right. And you say, how did I get there? I thought heathens were that way. How did I get there? Because you didn't take your thoughts captive. You didn't put your helmet of salvation on with a redeemed mind. You didn't regain back and take repossession of what is the right way of thinking, the kingdom of God thinking. Redeemed to take repossession of. And then the third one is this. The helmet of salvation is a renewed mind. It's a renewed mind. Romans 12, very familiar probably to most of us, says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and His perfect will. How can you discern what is right and what is wrong? How can you know right, right, and wrong, wrong? By discerning the will of God. How are you going to discern the will of God? You are going to have to put the helmet of salvation on and get your thinking renewed. This word conform means to be squeezed into and to be shaped by. Can I just tell you, church, we have probably been shaped in our thinking by culture more than we realize. We may have very holy, upright intent, but because we are so inundated now with a, a, a media presence from radio to television to everything else, and we're just bombarded with it. How much does, do people start believing what could be proven as false news and start taking it as reality? How many well-meaning individuals who really want to honor God could actually be walking with some deception because we've not allowed our mind to be renewed. We've let, we've let culture squeeze us in. That's the only thing I can think of when you've got a generation of young adults who think that the, uh, and I told you this last week, and I don't have anything against this generation of young adults, but I'm telling you this is who's leading the, the way in this, this idea that the Bible 
has not evolved with humankind and that now we've got evangelical pastors. I told you this last week that came out in the news uh, this past week did about the pastor. I think it's in North Carolina or Tennessee. It's in Tennessee. And he stands and tells his church God's word is not, and it's a mega church. God's word is not the, the inspired, infallible word of God. There are parts of it that are, but there are parts of it that have not evolved. I'd never heard that concept before. And twice this week, I came across it again. That the Bible has not evolved, and so we have evolved as humans in some of this archaic things about gender and gender identification. You see what's happening with the Equality Act? This is stuff that has been that has been presented under the guise of, well, the Bible is too archaic. You guys that still believe these things are wrong, you're, you're, you're believing in a book that's no longer relevant. But I will remind you that grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Man's wisdom will always fail. Yeah. Marx and Stalin thought they had something. It lasted for some decades. And the first thing that happened when their wall came down, Jim Fry, one of our own board members here, was running through the doors with a book of hope, group team of individuals taking Bibles into the nation of Russia within two years of those walls coming down. And the government was asking them to come to their schools and give their kids copies of the New Testament while we were having debates in our Senate and Congress about whether we should take prayer and Bibles out of school. You see, we conform more than we know. And the reason we conform more than we know is we do not know what we need to know. We do not know the Word of God. Hear me, I love everybody in this room. I love everybody watching. I love everybody. But I just got to be a watchman on the wall in this moment. And the reason we believe and conform to some things that are not scripture is we do not know what scripture says. We do not know what God's ideologies are, what his thoughts are on these things. So we're to be transformed. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So let me just close here. I'm going to give you three things real quickly. How you can renew your mind. One, you got to meditate on God's word. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, sit in the seat of sinners, or stand in the way. Uh, I totally got off there. I was trying to quote it and read it at the same time. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Catch what's being said. The first verse, that's all about relationship. Relationship with ungodly, relationship with wrong thinking, relationship with people that don't think. Now, I'm not saying we have to have the conversations. We can't be salt and light without having the conversations with those who think differently than we do. But we better be ready to stand with what we do know God says, and hold that ground. What does Paul say? Put on the helmet of salvation so you can stand. Stand your ground and have the conversations. And seek that the Holy Spirit would draw them to stand on that same ground. It's the ground of holiness. So we're transformed by meditating. 
meditate. You know the word meditate right there uh, in its literalist form, it would mean to memorize. So when I had melanoma skin cancer in 1993, I read Psalm 91. You guys have heard the story. I read it so many times. Mark dwells in the shelter of the Most High. He abides in the shadow of the Almighty. Mark will not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the plague that destroys at midday. I read those 16 verses four, five, six, seven times a day as much as I needed to for six months to get rid of this paradigm of fear that set in when the doctor used the word cancer. I felt it enter me immediately. And to fight that paradigm and to get that stronghold broken, I quoted and read it. I had it memorized completely. I didn't set to memorize it like how you memorize, you know, like two words at a time. Okay, I'm good for today. I've memorized those two words. Tomorrow I'll repeat those two words and memorize the next two words. No, I just read it so much it just was there. Let me ask you this. How many of you, how many of you could uh, quote the words to Gilligan's Island theme song right now? I bet if I started humming it or we started down it, we would all pretty much come up with it, wouldn't we? Come listen to the tale or whatever, I don't know. But when did you ask, let me ask you, when did you ever sit down to literally, I mean, if you, unless you just didn't have a lot of friends when you were a kid and you memorized TV theme songs, you didn't really sit down to just memorize it. What you did was you watched it so much after school that, you, that it was there. That's what it means to meditate on God's word, that you just get so saturated in God's word that it's just there. It's just there when you need it. It comes out and you don't even know because the Holy Spirit in you is the Holy Spirit who wrote it and inspired it. And he just jumps on it and says, let me pull this out of the file here right now. So you can stand. Here it is. But it doesn't get in that file unless you put it there. Meditating on God's word. Second one is this. You're going to renew your mind by taking these thoughts captive that are not true. Here again is 2 Corinthians 10. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take captive every thought that it may be obedient to Christ. When we know the thoughts are wrong, we got to stop them. Martin Luther said, and I know I'm not going to get it exactly right, but Martin Luther said that we can't stop the birds from flying overhead but we can stop them from building a nest in our hair. Oh, you're going to have thoughts. That mind is complex and powerful. And you're going to have thoughts, but the Holy Spirit in you is immediately going to convict you and convince you that that thought's not true. Now, you've got a choice. Do you let it continue to flutter around in your mind until it begins to establish a nest or let's call it a stronghold? Or do you take it captive and bring it under obedience to Christ? You know what it looks like? Give it a little noogie on the head and throw it back and go on, right? Take your thoughts captive. All right, so I'm going to do this real quick. Watchman on the wall. I love, I love us all. But I'm going to say to parents this morning, whether watching online or here, I do this as a watchman on the wall. I'm, I, I have a genuine concern and fear for future generations. Parents, if your kids are not in church, and you're the ones that have to get them here, if your kids aren't in church, or if they're here only once every six weeks and they get a 35-minute teaching in Victory Kids or a Bible lesson in the nursery, and yet we've got a government that's about to impose or try to seek to impose upon us anti-God, anti-Christ, 
theory and, and ideologies that are going to shape their future. And then one day when they don't think like you do about things in the Bible, it's because they were taught things in their school that were against the Bible, but they didn't know the Bible. They didn't know how to fight it. Hear me, I love you. But we've already got one generation that thinks the Bible's archaic. What one generation does in, ex, uh, in moderation, the next generation does in excess. Think about it. Your grandparents went to church every time the doors were open, didn't they? And every week-long revival, we don't even do four-night revivals anymore. My evangelist buddies are trying to figure out how they can get back to doing more services, but typically it's one or two nights for a revival service, and, and that's it. But you see, your grandparents went to church every time the doors were open. Our generation, my generation, has gone pretty regular and then even looked for some ways we could get out of that. And then there's a generation that appears that about once every six to eight weeks fits the bill. Can you go to heaven without going to church? Yes, yes, yes. Can you get to heaven stronger? Can you get to heaven more prepared? Can you get to heaven enjoying the journey here? Yes, yes, yes. And you know how you do that? Instead of getting beat up all the time, you get your mind renewed. Get the helmet of salvation put into place. And in the midst of all of the flaming arrows and all of the craziness that, that happens before the return of Christ, you are standing strong. And you're not taken back by it. You are overtaking it. But you got to get them in church, guys. you got to get them in church. Consider, where will they learn? How will they know when their school starts putting up transgender signs on the bathroom doors? How will they know that a boy in the girl's bathroom is not right? If that's what they grow up knowing, if that's what they are inundated with five days a week at school, that's what they're going to believe, that that's cool. And you know what? Don't be surprised one day when they wake up and they say, Mom, Dad, I don't believe your religion anymore. I don't believe that. And the reason they don't is because they never knew what they believed. You say, well, Pastor, we're telling them at home those things aren't right. That's fine. But just like you did and just like I did and like every one of us did, there comes a time in our, in our teenage years or young adult years where we have to test those things, don't we? We have to test. Okay, so that's what I've always been told, but i got to know for me. i got to know if that's true. So I'm going to, and if they don't have anything to work off of, it scares me. It scares me. We've got to take thoughts captive, and we've got to have something to captive, that captivates them. And then the third one is this. Renew your mind by initiating right thoughts. Finally, brothers, Philippians 4. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on these things that are excellent, admirable, and praiseworthy. You're going to have to replace them. Let's just do this. I don't have time to break all of those down this morning. You've got to replace them with God's Word. Replace them, take them captive, and then replace those thoughts. So you say, okay, I, I just had this lustful thought. I'm going to take it captive, but, but what am I going to put there in its place? Scripture. You have that thought, boom, start quoting something in Scripture. It may not even make any sense compared to what you It may not even relate to what you just thought. You may have had an evil thought, and the only Scripture comes to mind is Jesus wept. All right, well, get it there. Replace it with something. 
But I will tell you this, the more you meditate on it, the more you get it in you, the more you got to work with. Then it's not just Jesus wept. It is, I know that I am redeemed. I know greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know that I, I know that I am a child of God. So a helmet of salvation is a repentant mind. It is a redeemed mind. It is a renewed mind. Colossians 3 tells us what kind of mindset we as believers are to walk in. And it is this. Since you have been raised with Christ. Anybody in the house been raised? Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Since you've been raised with Christ and Christ is at the right hand of God, get your thinking and your perspective out of a heavenly perspective. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The helmet of salvation gives us a kingdom perspective. In fact, uh, let me just close with this. I know that's my second closing. I got one more. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a man. He's a man named Jed. Jed was a poor mountaineer who, it's said, barely kept his family fed. Jed was out shooting up some food one day, and up all of a sudden, out of the ground, came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold, you know what it is. Texas tea. When did you ever sit down to memorize the Beverly Hillbilly song? Well, the first thing you know, old Jed, they say, is a millionaire. And his kinfolk said, Jed, you ought to move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck. And they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars, right? Love the show. Nothing more comical <laughs> than billionaires, millionaires, living in a sweet Beverly Hills estate with a cement pond and yet living like poor hillbillies. What was funny was the contrast. What's not quite as funny is it, it's almost a, a picture of the contrast of believers and followers of Christ who have all of the possession as inheritance of children, as children of God, but yet we don't live it. You see, Jed had oil underground the entire Jed was a millionaire and never knew it. But then when Jed became a millionaire and could move, he moved, but he didn't change his thinking. I share that with you to kind of get your attention a little bit this morning because I got another 45 minutes to go and I needed to get you back. I'm just kidding. But what I do share that with you for is to recognize this contrast because you and I have been saved by the glorious blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God who is God in flesh, gave himself and gave his life's blood that you could be forgiven of your sin, redeemed, and adopted into the household of the kingdom of God. And when you were saved and when you were born again, you were seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. You're just passing through. You remember the old song, this ain't your home. You're just passing through. Your reality is heaven already. 
Don't get caught up in all the thinking of this corrupted, unregenerate, depraved culture. Get your mind repentant, redeemed, and renewed. You're a child of God. You are meant to stand in every possession that Jesus Christ has given to you. Though the enemy fight to move you from it, the helmet of salvation keeps you standing.